0: Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu.
1: So uh, today we're here with Professor Anthony Buckwitz of Zero-G Jiu-Jitsu in Carroll Gardens in the Red Hook area of Brooklyn. He is a Henzo Gracie black belt. He's been a competitor and he's a great coach. I had the pleasure of learning 95% of the jiu-jitsu I know like through him. And anytime I meet other people that are practicing in Staten Island or Brooklyn, they always say Anthony is a great dude who taught them so much about jujitsu. jitsu One of the things that they always say about you, Anthony, is you don't just say, oh, do this jujitsu," You often formulate how like you look at people's bodies and their attitudes and then you tell them like this is your jiu-jitsu and I've, I've already just heard from so many different people how much you've helped them so yeah i'm looking to like dive a little bit deeper in and just learn more about you and all your philosophy
2: yeah i always say like jujitsu is for everybody but not everybody's for jiu-jitsu and you can always make it work for you if you're just willing to do it sometimes it's a little harder than others but you know it can always happen
1: yeah, so, so I guess to start, Anthony, could you just tell us what got you into, like what life experiences led you to jiu-jitsu <laughs> or martial arts?
2: I've always done martial arts. That's from hands down from when I was, whatever, younger. And even I remember when UFC 1 was happening, I was training kickboxing in Taekwondo. And my kickboxing instructor, they're like, they were talking about the UFC 1. They're like, oh, who's going to win that? And the moment they mentioned Hoist's name, they're like, oh, Hoys crazy. oh, he wins. And they're like, why? Like, he's actually... He's comes from the world's greatest grappling family and nobody's going to have any idea what they do to him. And I remember thinking to myself, like nowadays I'm like, how did he know? Yeah, like he wow. was from New York. Like I have no idea how Dave knew of the Gracie's, but he knew them and he knew they were going to dominate and he knew nobody had any clue what they were doing. So it was kind of nuts. Wow. Uh, and then years later, I actually, I was traveling with Disney and ice and I kind of just, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina and we were in a bar and they're like, hey, do you want to do an MMA fight? I'm like, sure. So I just signed in the dotted line, grabbed a beard, jumped in the cage. And uh, so I ended up getting choked out that day. And from that day <laughs> forth, I'm like, you know what? I need to learn what I just lost to. And eventually I found Hansel Grace Academy.
1: Can you give us a time frame? When was that MMA fight? And like, how old were you? Like, what year was that? Uh,
2: so that was probably like in 2000. I got choked out. Uh, 2000, 2001. Because okay. I did that for a few years. And then I okay. found, and then I started training jujitsu in like 2004, 2005.
1: Were you always a fighter type? Because like, it just seems like you had that fear you went in. like.
2: I love competition on every aspect. When I did Taekwondo, I competed. When I did kickboxing, I competed. We would compete so much, we'd end up going down to Philadelphia to compete in Muay Thai fights while I was training kickboxing. Huh. So mm. yeah, so I've been doing all types of fighting for I can, as long as I can remember. Do you find yourself competitive outside of fighting? Um, I find if I don't do like, well, that's not true. Cause even like skateboarding, I would just enter random competitions for skateboarding. So I, anything where it is a formalized competition, I'm always down to. Okay. Like I don't have to compete at Monopoly, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's fine. Whatever.
1: I, I actually just read an article about a girlfriend who stabbed her boyfriend for cheating at Monopoly.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monopoly's vicious, man. I can't play with my friends. I was like, who played playing something? And he's like, I'm like, all right, I'll trade you this for this. He's like, no. I'm like, why not? And he goes, well, I know you have an idea and I refuse to play into it. I'm like, well, that's <laughs> up This game's not worthless. Shows true colors, man. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I don't trust you. I'm like, well, it's not. Nah, it's just a board game. <laughs> but his competitive, like, he's one of our best friends, but his competitive is way beyond mine, but he just doesn't do anything to compete with it. And I think that's the difference. Hmm.
1: So, so when you got
2: choked out, was it one of those things where you,
1: like, realized, wait, up, my kickboxing's not that good, or this is just something I didn't learn and now I need to learn? Like, how how quickly was that jump right into then the grappling arts?
2: Well, I knew, because I did some, like, when UFC happened, we were doing some train like, sprawling, brawling, things like that. Obviously, I was not that great at it. I was also really small. So it's, it's funny. At the time, they were like, oh, you're too small to do wrestling. Wow. Yeah, that, that was an yeah. annoying concept. Um, but... <laughs> so like the moment i got choked out i was like i knew what i lost to. i'm like i lost to what dave said everybody was going to lose to because they didn't know what was happening and like i had no idea what was going on uh and then one of the guys i don't know what Muhammad was from but he was a wrestler from there so when he got in a fight he literally took the guy down kind of laid and prayed on him like he just just kept throwing forms to his face the guy went for like now i know the guy on the bottom went for a really terrible footlock <laughs> and like but and he ended up winning with wrestling alone i'm like and I'm like, all right, that's eventually where I got it. That's what I got to learn next. Mm. And I was always interested in learning it too, because I, I'm, I'm addicted to learning. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Anything I can build on my mindset, like anything, I'll, I'll, I'll read something for an hour and just learn it. It's all good. And so, was it a quick
1: introduction to BJJ? And did you like quickly join Henzo, or mm-hmm. did you go to other gyms? Did you have to find your right home?
2: Uh so. A friend of mine, so I, I never knew really what, I was like, I knew what I wanted to learn, but I didn't know it was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu per se. So when I came back to New York, so this is like years later, lived in California, moved back to New York. When I was in California, I did some Kung Fu and it was terrible, but either way, So I come back to New York, I'm like, I want to learn that. That's it. So my friend of mine, he trained with David Deave in New Jersey. I think he's a Hoyler black belt. And I'm like, all right, that's cool, but that means I have to rely on you for a ride. There's got to be someone else. So then it was like, all right, I know what I'm looking for now. So I look up Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I look up this Renzo Gracie guy. And then I'm like, this guy's <laughs> amazing. I, I see that Tiktara fight where he up kicks him in the face. And I'm like, I'm there. I call them up, and they're like, yeah, just come on in. So then I go to work, and then the guys, like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to Henzo's next. He you going to Henzo's? I'm like, I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me about this place if you're so excited about this place? He didn't <laughs> tell me. So then immediately I just go to henzo's uh i get choked out really badly Uh, actually i get beat up really badly um i kind of get hazed a little bit because they thought i lied about not training before because i'm like you ever do grappling i'm like nah just a little bit of wrestling so as lynn put it he's like well you had a really she's here later i asked him like dude why'd you beat the crap out of me uh he's like you had a good awareness of where you were so we thought you were lying about it i know that's not true now but you know yeah so we beat you up i'm like all right it's cool So yeah, so and then and then from then on, I was on the. I I went to the city like five days a week, uh, four to five days a week, and then I was training on Staten Island with Joe Capizzi for two to three days a week. So I was in.
1: So it was an everyday thing. I kind of wanted to get into what it was like training during those old days and Henzo, and like what you mean by like getting beat up. And eventually, like later on, I kind of want to ask you how is training now, and like kind of compare it to that. So like what, what were those like old gyms like and like the beginning days of
2: I mean so I mean for the most part, especially Henzo's uh jujitsu is more catered, like our jiu jitsu is more catered towards fighting towards MMA. Henzo would even say like his idea of professional jujitsu was a mixed martial arts fight. So we learned to cage walk, we learned all the all the cage fighting stuff. We would do it on the padded walls and all that stuff. And then when it came down to train, it was really like maybe you worked the move for a little bit, but then it was just, you're on the mats and it was just, if there was too many people, it was king of the hill. You just kept cycling through people. And and uh, it was a lot more mat time then than it is now. Like now we have more educated drilling sessions, I think. And then you play that into your training time. And I, and I do believe that the progression of jujitsu is better now than it was then, but I will say the people then are just tough dudes. Like there was a lot of, like a lot more people walking out of jujitsu back then because it was just brutal a lot of the time. That's mm-hmm. funny.
0: I, I think I've used that exact thing. I'm like back then, cause I started training in 2006. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, it felt a lot like tougher guys back then where today everyone is like, like masterclass and artful, but I'm like, there's something about that toughness of back then. Everyone was trying to kill each other.
2: Yeah. Like, I, I can't tell, like, how many people, like, were flying heel hook me. Like, it's like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <ugh. laughs> like they, every submission was put on instead of set up. I don't know, mm-hmm. Like, if there's mm-hmm. any way to put it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And when you say the progression is better now, what do you mean? Like, people understand technique a lot more now? Or they understand, like,
2: the principles behind the jiu No, I well, I mean, maybe that as well. I mean, everybody's individual in that. But I, I would say, like uh with the way we kind of like set up the drilling and the mechanics there somebody's body can get better at it quicker and they they can develop more skills more consistently and uh, at a better progression than they could then Mm. because of the way the training is now you know what i mean um i mean obviously it's not for all schools but ideally like when i look at jujitsu like how do i get how do i get this person to develop a skill set to translate into the mats whereas back in the day it was like all right just throw down and well develop it uh, it's kind of a little more on your own then
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so when you were at uh, the hens of academy you were a competitor i'd like to learn more about like your mindset during competition and like your thoughts on competition then
2: i mean i still view competition very much the same like when i step onto a mat i am be nervous as hell but the moment i touched him I'm like okay i've done this a thousand times it's all good but when I'm competing and even gearing up for competition, like my, my training mindset does change. Like outside of competition, I'm always doing something I don't do. And I'm always thinking about what I'm doing. Right. So then when it comes like maybe two to three weeks before competition, I'm always thinking, all right, I need to stop thinking and just thinking of where I want to be in the end and let everything get me there. So my mentality would be like, all right, I'm going to choke this guy out. And I know he's going to choke me out or at least try but I'm going to impose what I want to do to him and then not play against what he wants to do to me. So if I had a counter, it would be more because they forced me into the situation, but I was really not into the idea of pulling guard and then dealing with their passing system. I was much more like low anchor, but get on top drive pressure and make them more uncomfortable and not allow them to make me uncomfortable. Whereas like training time, like I, I actually, when I train, I want to be uncomfortable. I want to make them make me miserable so I learn how to deal with it and then if I when I do get a new fight I like I'm like I know how to deal with it anyway so
1: mm-hmm. do you think that was your natural instinct to you want to take people down and like be on top or was that something you were learning through your teaching
2: I was Hans was very aggressive a lot of the guys were like uh wanted to be on top and, that, and even that pressure there were still a few you know guard pulling outliers that would like favor not going to gun but I would act, and then one of the guys I would train with he was a really good wrestler from NYU and I caught him in a go-go platter. And then, so I taught him the bottom part and he taught me the top part. I would be on the bottom anyway, cause most of my friends were bigger. I started jujitsu at like 125 pounds. I got 270, 180 pounds over time. Uh, but, so I was always on the bottom anyway, but I liked the idea of being on top. It was much more comfortable. <laughs> what would you say to other people that are, that were
1: small or that are small? Cause I also started like when I was like 135. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like people are often really intimidated when they are small that they're gonna get beat up. Like, what would you say to them for the people that are smaller? I mean, well, that that's the thing
2: behind jujitsu. That's what UFC One was about. That's why they chose Hoyce over Hickson, because he was the smaller guy. It's if you do want to train and you do want to protect yourself as a smaller person, is kind of be the vehicle for that. The idea of being able I, people talk about like, oh, you fight off your back. I'm like, no, I only fight off my back because I can but it doesn't mean it's where I want to, you know what I mean? And ideally, honestly, the smaller guys that get bigger, I think in the end, usually have a little bit of a, a cleaner jujitsu because they can fight up their back easier. And then when they get on top, they're willing to take risks and take movement risks because where they get on their back again, all right, so I've been here a thousand times. And then they go back, they get back on top mm. and they get to fight over for it. So I, even my big guys, I really try to get their bottom postures cleaner so that even when they get turned over they can go right back on top like they normally do so in that respect like you're little you're going to be stuck on the bottom for a while but you won't be there forever and it's okay you'll be able to deal with pressure like and then you get some big guys on the bottom they like a fish out of water mm-hmm.
1: I, I remember when i came to your gym i had done some sambo and so i was like oh, wait, i think i'm like pretty decent maybe like let me see like let me so let me see what it'll be like focusing just on the ground stuff and then i just kept getting choked like, out know, i was like I was like, shoot, I thought I knew a little bit. And then, but then what really helped me was six months later, somebody came in that was like big. And then I was like, oh, I can manipulate them. And I was like, oh, wait up! I got better. And I didn't realize I got better.
2: So I think it's like also one of those things where you have to have patience. Yeah, especially, and especially when you're getting better with a pack. Everybody's getting better. So until more people start filtering in, you're like, oh, okay, okay. I didn't know yet you know what I mean <laughs> so yeah
1: <laughs> can you tell us about like
2: the like a
1: particular competition that you've been in like I know you did the Pan Am's as like a purple belt and can you explain like what that was like and going against people that like just the higher up you go what changes when you're in these competitions like the mentality of the competitors and like how you felt
2: so actually well, yeah so Especially in the beginning, I liked comp. I actually liked competition better as a blue belt and white belt because it was more everybody was willing to just go for it. And actually, as I got more and more up in competition, so many more people were willing to win by a point or two mm-hmm. points. You know what I mean? And and I was ne- I never fought by that mentality. Like I was always like I'm trying to submit the person. I don't care about two to four points and then winning on points. But so like as People got so much more nervous about losing at that point. And they really didn't want to, uh, like, so if they were up by two points, they would just hold on. Like, egos really get in the way at higher level competition a lot of times, and it's kind of why, like, eventually, like, gi jujitsu uh, kind of stopped competing in because everybody would hold on so much, and it gets it gets uh, And I can't even. I couldn't even watch it for a while. So It gets kind of boring. But so yeah, there is that aspect of egos start to step in people start to be nervous about losing and instead of making their jujitsu better they're more worried about freezing up and or even making jujitsu more entertaining like like nobody goes to jujitsu competition unless you're friends
0: or family mm. or, <laughs> or you compete like that's it do you think that's a shortcoming of competition like of like the sport of brazilian jujitsu i mean yeah i mean it could be uh would you would you change that I would definitely change it. Like
2: how to get people to be more. um, So I would say like fight to win. Who's number one. I love how there is no points. There's just three judges that just raise a flag. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore someone holding on for like a minutes, they're probably going to lose because they're not going for it. So yeah, I do think I would definitely change it. And I think that is going in the right route. Mm. Um, And I kind of would like to see that also for Guy as well. I mean, I think, uh, not who's number one, but a fight to win does it like that too. The other three judges raising the flag. Um, and it, it gets people that it's a mentality of like, okay, I'm up by two. Let me hold on for five minutes.
0: Right. Know? Yeah. And so they keep going for an advantage for instance. Yeah. Even worse. Would you say like how jujitsu as a sport has evolved is something that is like, do you think that's the right direction? Like how it has evolved the sport? Um, well, the sport is
2: like the sport as a whole. Like I think it was going in a bad direction. I think it's headed in a better direction now. Okay. Um, I think we're headed more towards the I want to win by submission. Uh, I think it's it does feel like it's veering towards that angle, mm-hmm. um, especially IBJJF allowing heel hooks and trying to allow the more allowing more submissions to happen. And I think mm-hmm. is a great angle. So I definitely feel it's headed in that direction <laughs> uh, as far as training goes. I think people are realizing that training to hold on is not going to get the community to grow. So we're going to see some more, we'll see more coaches training towards the submission end. Mm,
0: that yeah. makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at it a little bit also from the entertainment and the business side of things too. hundred percent. Yeah. And also like we don't have a lot of jujitsu guys rolling into MMA and doing always <laughs> well. Like, I mean, we know the outliers are like, Oh, Damien Maia is amazing. Uh, Oliveira is amazing. Like we know the outliers, but an average jujitsu player isn't doing averagely well in MMA. Mm. And I think the problem is because too many people are whole like, again, sports competition doesn't really play into that much anymore.
1: Okay, I understand. Is there any rule changes you'd make to MMA to make grappling a little bit more effective? Like, do you think it's also partially the rules too? Or do you think a lot of it is just the training mentality?
2: I mean, I mean, rules in MMA are as limited as best as they best they could be. I mean, I would never add rules to it. I, I mean,
0: mm. would you uh, take some out?
2: Uh, MMA. I mean, what rules are there? I can't think of any rules that are really detrimental to anything. I mean, the, the, the contentious stuff.
0: ones right now. I mean, the 12 to 6 elbow has always yeah, been like, yeah, it's yeah there. these to the head of a downed opponent. That's kind of different as it goes around the world. People are contending that one. Do you think there's anything like that? Or even um, some people will stand up fighters for a certain amount of time where it's inactive, like maybe someone's on top and guard, they're just not very active. And me and, me and, I, uh, and, me
1: and Arturo often talk about, a, oh, I'm sorry, Arturo.
0: It's okay. Uh, we often
1: talk about maybe changing how we do rounds. Like, would it be better if there's like one 10 minute round, like kind of like the old pride days, like give the grapplers more time? Or do you like the breaks in between?
2: Uh, so to answer Arturo's, yes, I think knees to a down opponent is a brilliant, like any attack on the ground while you're on the ground as well should be completely allowed. I don't, mm. don't agree with the idea. Like why when we're on the ground, can I not throw as many attacks as I can we're standing mm-hmm. ideally a knee while you're standing is so much more damaging than a knee while you're on the ground. Yeah. And the knee ends a fight. It's not like you're going to cut them open. The no, you're going to knee him in the head a couple of times they're done. And it also causes a reaction to the person on the bottom. So that definitely limits the ability of the jujitsu guy because it limits the reactions you can create. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're standing up, creating reactions is what it's all about. Faints and hip movement. And I mean, look at Connor, literally faints with his hip pushing back, throwing his hand out. So you think he can't reach you and then he's cracking you across the face. Mm-hmm. This idea doesn't translate to the ground because they don't allow all types of attacks on the ground. So I definitely agree that knees down opponent, uh, removing anything that's like not an eye gouge or fish hook, like obviously that stuff stays out, but yeah, you should totally be allowed to knee on the ground. Uh, Upkicks should be illegal. I don't understand why they're not.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It just doesn't make sense. Uh, you should have to worry about it, in that respect. And then, oh, yeah, and 100% I love the old pride <laughs> rounds. Like 10 minute round or five minute round was just awesome. I also like the idea of, I hate round by round judging.
0: Mm.
2: Like that's just, that's just grim. I think that's just to give uh, three people a job for a night. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Do you think you. it would be
1: good? for the fighters to know how they're doing in between rounds. Mm.
2: So that can have a double-edged sword because it can also turn out to like a person being, Oh, I'm up by this round. I don't have to fight so hard. I could just, I, I'm winning by three rounds. I just have to get not, not get knocked out and not be totally uncompetitive for two rounds. So mm, yes. And no, I guess it's, that'd be, that'd be mentality thing. I think you're better <laughs> off guessing. It doesn't really matter. I believe the audience should know though. Mm. I like that. Like, I think Bellator does it. I don't think UFC does it, but there should always be someone saying, Well, I got it like this and like this, and this is why. And mm. the audience should be like, Okay, that person's winning. Uh, it just sucks when they're wrong because the judges are horrendous.
1: What was the last fight? Olivera Chandler, and they gave two of the judges gave Chandler a 10-8 round.
2: Yeah,
0: they did. Oh, I didn't even know yeah, they gave I him just, a 10-8 round. Yeah, two of them. <laughs>
2: That's terrible. So Oliver <laughs> was on Chandler's back for half the first part of the round, and then he almost and now they're saying he got dominated okay yeah
0: i don't know how that wasn't viewed as, as back and forth but yeah 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 it's just that's baffling
2: yeah
1: daniel cormier went off that's the only reason i knew about it he's oh, like yeah. how do two people do this like teddy like it's i just- had to go
2: to work in the morning he won raise his hand again the bells like peace i'm out sleeping <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's what insane it is. <laughs> do you think jujitsu people need to be training more wrestling Well, I think that's kind of like the next thing you'll see, and but it can't just be wrestling; it has to be wrestling that works for jujitsu. Like, uh, it's funny. Like, there's a I I did like a TikTok where I do a single leg where my head comes to the outside, but I come really far out and like I push someone down. It's like, oh, you're gonna get guillotine. I'm like, actually, my head's not next to their rib cage, so if they grab that guillotine, there's enough space where actually by the time they go down, my head's already free, and I didn't even really try. It just works that way. And, and then I'm like, well, there's a guy, the guy I trained with did guillotines really well. So if this worked on him, I'm really confident with my head coming free. And they're like, well, that's not the way you do it. I'm like, that's not the way we do it. in am wrestling. And I'm like, that's fine, but I'm not training jujitsu. I'm not mm. training wrestling for wrestling. I'm training wrestling for fighting. And I think there's a huge difference. Mm. And that, the first time I ever came across that was, I remember, especially back in the day, every DVD was in Portuguese and then poorly English translated. So, I came across Randy Couture's wrestling for fighting. And since he spoke such good English, I'm like, oh, so I would literally plug his DVD in and I didn't have to watch the video. So, I got the audio and I would just listen to that while going to jujitsu, whatever. So, but the way he changed the idea of wrestling for fighting is something I've always carried in my head. So, I do think wrestling needs to be part of it, but at the same time, it doesn't need it, can't be wrestling. And by
1: the way, I saw that uh, interaction you had on YouTube. And that's just one of the reasons I love you, because like, I feel like when I post something, if somebody like comes at me, I'm always like, you know? And then you're like, thank you. And then you properly explain everything <laughs> in like detail. And I was just like, that's why I admire the way you like handle it. You're like, yeah, you're typically right for this situation.
2: Okay, so yeah, I of
1: like, sure our you listeners. Coming. You can find uh, Anthony Professor Buck on YouTube and uh, on Twitch, it's zero G bjj
2: right your twitch well, channel yeah, twitch at zero gbjj yeah because uh-huh. really we just started twitch so we can record the classes and save them for six months mm. so it could be just go watch their rounds
1: this is like something we've been asking some of the other uh gym owners that come in here like how do you balance being like a competitor a martial artist but also a business person
2: like, I mean, it's, not, like it's it's super hard because you know it is i want to teach everybody jujitsu right i want everybody walks in the door to train jujitsu and i like, get and when someone's like, I'm like, all right, do I, I, you have to have somebody to help you out with that? Like there has to be somebody who's kind of your enforcer when it comes to the monetary part. Like mm. I, I it, it's not that I can't be that person. I mean, again, I was in, I ran a business forever with Disney and I used to run a Starbucks, but yeah. So when it comes to like that, it's just cause I want to teach everybody jujitsu. Sometimes it's really hard so I can run the business as far as like running a jujitsu school, but making sure everybody pays what they're supposed to be paying or that aspect kind of gets a little muddled. Uh, I often always remember, like, I remember Joe always saying, it's like, well, how much time did you put into getting that time uh, purple belt? I'm like, it was like, you deserve money for that. Cause not everybody can do that. Mm. So when I start to be like, okay, whatever, man, it's okay. We'll figure it out next month. I'm like, wait, no, I, I put a lot of time into being this person. Mm-hmm. I deserve, I deserve the respect of that. So monetarily in this case 100
1: and what about when it comes to like marketing and like trying to get students and especially during like covid did you have to become like extra technical and like on social media and like improve that game like does that come natural to you or uh, did you
2: have to like work on that type of education yes and no like when covid happened i still needed a jujitsu outlet since i was training less i still needed i still watch jujitsu um, now I just needed to like, now I just needed to get out of my head in another way. And that's really what you see there. Like even like the whole Twitch thing, like I only started doing that because, well, I'm already watching jujitsu and I had a couple of guys who are like, Oh, can we watch it with you? So I'm like, yeah, I'll just do it on Twitch. And then we all watch jujitsu together. And I tell them what's going on in my head. And then now we have other people from like Germany and, and Philippines hanging out with us. But really that just started out because like, I'm going to do it anyway. I might as well as invite people to do it with me. Nice. So so, yeah, I got better at it because of it. And that's really because I was off the mats, but I still had my mind to be on the mats. Mm-hmm. So you still do that? People can join you while you're still watching? Basically, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern time, I go on and we'll do either backyard MMA or we'll do jujitsu matches. Thursday is like viewer's choice. People bring in whatever they want. I know one guy just had his, his guys fighting. So we're going to watch his stuff and break that down. And then uh, and on Sunday also, Sunday's usually the Backyard MMA Day.
0: All right, cool, cool. I definitely know a few people that probably be interested in that. Yeah. Awesome.
1: It's fun. Yeah, and I saw one of the quotes you had when you were going over the Charles Oliveira, Tony Ferguson fight. You are know, like, if this Twitch could do anything, we want to be able to show people the importance of the ground game, you know, and like how essential the ground game is. And I loved your, like, little tip, because when I saw the Daryush. Uh, heel hook on Tony. Like, I was just freaking out, like tap, and I couldn't look. And I was like, oh, oh my man. God. And you did that for a second or two, but then quickly you went into professor mode and you were like, it looked really vicious, but it would have been a lot more vicious if you hipped in as opposed to like ripping mm. it. And-
2: yeah, he started ripping it, which you could see Tony's face get grimaced, but then he was like, oh, I'm okay. And that was because Dariush pulled it across his chest and he lost the grip on the heel. And I think, obviously, I still don't know if Tony's gonna tap because he's like, he went into zombie mode. i oh, my God. Yeah, I can't I'm betting he that. doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, he's been in two of the most vicious submissions in his past two fights, and nobody can get him to tap. So, either you're putting that dude to sleep or you're literally taking a limb home with you.
1: Those were like, literally, like movie submissions where, like, they just looked as gross as possible. Like, it's like nobody gets to that point. I thought when he stopped grimacing, that's because it snapped already. And I was like, oh, maybe he just got through like the painful And like, he, I don't even know. Do yeah, you, no, I think
2: I, I think Darius, the way he pulled he the heel slip happened enough to where Tony was like, oh, OK, I'm OK now. Like there was definitely a moment of pain. You saw it on his face. And then the relaxation was when the foot started to slip out because Darius started pulling it across his chest. Mm. Yeah, so
1: this is a little bit of a psychological question, but me and Arturo were debating this a little bit. Is it a little bit, do you think, like a game of chicken where some of the people, like, they're like, I know I could break his arm, but I don't want to. Like Oliveira, or like, or do you, I don't know if I'm phrasing it properly. No, no, I, I see
2: what you're saying, like, the, like, the, is the, he there like, like a Tony breaking mentality. Like, uh, let's look at Frank Muir versus Tim Sylvia back in the day. Like, he literally mm. just broke his forearm in half. He broke Noguerra's arm. I mean, so there is a mentality to a break. There is something you have to tell yourself and uh, like I, always, I remember I questioned it always myself. But then I was in a tournament, I had it on, president tap. I'm like, well, it's not my fault. Crack, and I heard his shoulder just rip out. Oh my but god, that's not my choice. Like it's his choice. So yeah, but it was like there was a click had of like, oh, okay, I could do it now. And snap. But everybody, yeah, it's it's not everybody can do it. Like look at Vitor Belfort versus John Jones.
1: Mm-hmm. He, he had
2: him extended, had it straight out. And John Jones says it was on tight, but Vitor didn't hit through to break it. You know what I mean? Again, maybe he just practices with the extension all the time. I mean, that's another thing that training will, will change over time. Like mm-hmm. now we hit the for but even I do with the grappling dummies from my fundamentals guys and foot on the floor, hip right through the dummy. I'm like, when you're training live, you're still going to do the same motion. You might slow it down, but you're still going to break because the onus of tapping is on them. I trust you to tap. And I also trust you to let go when I tap. Mm-hmm. So yeah there's definitely a having to click something there to break something and it's not everybody can click it over I do think Olivera could click it over I just think the way he was doing the onbar there was just a, a lack of breaking potential in the judo onbar it has great control but it it misses some breaking potential in it.
0: Mm. I also think sometimes they just sometimes they can't believe how far it's gone. Like maybe it's gone further than anyone they've trained with or something. Yeah. And sometimes they're just like, like that, that moment of like, what the hell else do I have to do? You know? Yeah. And 100% agree with that.
2: He's like, everybody else taps him. It's like this. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's bending back. There's hyperextension. You can mm-hmm. see like the fibers in his tendons. You're like, what's happening? He's like, oh. And even talking and about it, in the me bell me. rings. <laughs> was there a part of you that got like PTSD from breaking that guy's shoulder or like, did you feel like extra savagery or for me, it became, well, the choice was his. Cause like, I went to it and I'm like, that's where everybody taps. And I looked at him and he's just kind of gritting his teeth. I go, all right. <laughs> and just kept going. Like, I'm like oh, dude, I don't know why he didn't tap. Like, like on some <laughs> level, he believed I wasn't willing to break it, but right. is that the reason how you're going to win? I'm like, no, no, no. I, to me, it's just like everyone's a savage. Like,
1: that guy's a savage for not
2: tapping, but then like we're also a little <laughs> bit savage for, like, breaking it.
1: It's just like
0: how... I mean, we've, we've all I died crazy. so many times on the mats.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh.
0: Have you it's ever like had gauge. anything break? Anything uh, serious? Um, i
2: never had a break. I've had insane hyperextensions. Uh, New York Open, I was winning, and I'm like, all right, I could just let this elbow go and win and get out, and I you know, just let it go. Mm. and after Hanzo comes up with a bag of goes, man that was tough i'm like yeah that's 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 miserable right now <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, then for Henzo like but then for like that, two huh? months i had to roll with my hand in my belt because they could barely move my elbow so much mm. um i have rubber ankles so people can still hold me it'll just rip out and i don't care i get that from skateboarding all the times i landed on them mm. so there's a few submissions i'm like man eh, you can go for that one i don't have feel you um how
0: about being put
2: to sleep that's happened yeah okay. It sounds like chipmunks going away. And then when the world comes back in, they're
0: like, oh. mm-hmm.
2: but yeah, I've been put out. Yeah.
0: I was, <laughs> I, I just came to that realization like a little earlier with, or someone else was talking to me because they had just, uh, this someone else actually professionally wrestles and he saw someone get knocked out, like something got botched. And it was the first time he had witnessed someone get KO like in real life. And it made him like uncomfortable. He's like, oh shit, I don't know how to respond to this and stuff. He's like, oh, have you been around that? I'm like, yeah. And then he asked me about like choking out and is that the same? And then it made me think, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen anyone get choked out in a really long time. But back in the day, maybe like that tough guy mentality, like yeah, people yeah. fought it way more. I saw quite a few people, dozens or so go to sleep, a little different. Do you, do you find that to be the case? Well, definitely have more back in the day. People mm-hmm. are much more willing to tap now. I definitely say that. And
2: I definitely agree that a knockout is very different than a chokeout. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. Like I've, I've been north, south, Jordan people have helped their body go limp. Just wake them up, put them on the side. They're good to go later, mm-hmm. but you knock somebody out different. They're not the same for like a couple of hours. There's a very mm-hmm. big difference. I agree yeah. because a knockout is a concussion base. Like your brain hits the side of your head and then your, your brain shuts off for a moment. Whereas when you choke out, it's an oxygen deprivation. So it's not getting enough oxygen and it shuts off there. So it's less violent. If that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So definitely yeah. a difference. Speaking of violence, some of the stuff that we are talking
1: about, like these breaks and choking people out to like, you know, until they sleep. Do you think that has a net positive in terms of getting people to want to join jujitsu? Like it's exciting and they see it on Sports Center? Or do you think that has a net negative where people are like, I'm afraid that's going to happen
2: to me in the gym? I mean, anybody who gets choked for the first time in a gym when they go to jujitsu, whether they're ready for it or not, tends to be a little freaked out. Like it because it's something you're like, you're like, oh my God, I can't breathe. And then you frantically tap. So yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that as far as it being net positive, it's just a net reality. If we water it down and we take it away, we get a keto. Um, nice <laughs> to doing keto. Uh, but like, so that's the reality of it. Like, so we can't take it away, but it's hard to make it seem softer. You know what I mean? It's just what it is. So
0: you might argue that's its draw too. Like if there are people that can do that to you, then why wouldn't you train to defend it? You oh, know 100%, what I mean? yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's why I like literally the moment I took jujitsu with hands, I was like, Oh, I'm in for life. This is it. Like Mm -hmm. he just handled me like I was a baby. (laughs) So if you didn't do jujitsu, uh, I know you said you were kickboxing before that. Would you have basically just stuck with that? Like what martial art would you do if you didn't do jujitsu or even now just being equipped with knowing more martial arts?
2: Uh, I was more headed into the, the Muay Thai realm. I really, I still think they're some of the best training aspects of fighting is in Muay Thai. The way they work with themselves, right? Their physical ability, uh, their pad work, their body work, and then the way they even spar. Like two Muay Thai guys for sparring, they're chill. Like they're touching, they're relaxing, they're not cracking each other. That's why you ever see like the, the guy in the bar that he, he like clicks and cracks the dude. He's like, yeah, oh, it's because you tried to go a little too hard. And he was like, hey, man, just be chill. Um, so, yeah, so I, because I, I really do appreciate the way Muay Thai trains from beginning to end and then eventually to get to fighting so i probably would have stuck with that more or less just with the conditioning and the, the work I, I call it like level i have like i put training in like five levels one is like hip escapes uh shadow boxing and then level two is like pad work heavy bag still you're just working with something not yourself level three is when you're working with someone that's kind of resisting or like s rolling mm. sparring but like you're both kind of working with each other and then level four is like sport competition, where it's a little bit escalated, but there's still like a high level of rule set and little five like street fighter MMA. Mm, so. Okay.
0: Delineation, Spe- speaking, I like
1: that. speaking of those levels, could you also break down like your levels of what you think like a white belt should be a blue mm. belt should be like a purple belt like that? Like, what are you looking
2: for as like a professor like in your students? It's like the most age old question ever. Like, it was like, nobody's blue belt is exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. I try to give someone a blue belt when I think if they got in a fight, they'd be okay. Mm. Maybe cool. they're not going to win, but they'll be okay. Like if they can hold to their own, maybe they can control the situation. Someone can come help them or something like that. So I kind of try to hold a blue belt for that moment. Um, then let's see, when I give a purple belt, when I give a it purple, it's like, all right, now they can fight another jujitsu fighter and it'll be a good fight. And if not, they win. You know what I mean? Just someone else who's also trained. So like purple belt is you can fight a fighter or at least a, maybe someone who's trained in something else. Um, and then uh, Brown and black belts, just refining the art in yourself. I, I'd say Brown belts are, uh, you found your game and you're, and you're good at it. Like if you get someone in these positions, you, you can win uh, good case. That's the meow brothers. If they started that Barambolo role, no matter what level they were fighting against, like they could probably mm-hmm. find something out of that. And then black belt is you have that, but now you start adding on. And even again, I could use Meow brothers who now are doing their body lock passing and fighting from the top, which is uh it's just really good. So I think that's where, so I guess that would be the progression I would look towards or look for.
1: I like that. That's a little bit different than the answers we've been typically getting.
2: Mm-hmm. Where you
1: related like directly to fighting and like who they would be um when it comes to like your coaching and your like philosophies on coaching have they changed over time and do they change with like the different people or the different places you are coaching people
2: um, like do you notice
1: differences in your students like where whether you're teaching like staten island or brooklyn or like if you're doing like a seminar somewhere else
2: well seminars are very different so i'll, I'll hold that for later but so as far as like has my coaching and jujitsu teaching changed over time yeah i'd be i'd be a fool not to uh, I think that's the idea. I, I do think the next level of jujitsu is in the training methods. Like I said, like I really look towards more Thai. I love their training methods. So I kind of, over time, I've tried to push that towards jujitsu. where like, um, honestly, I don't do level, enough level one where physically training yourself. So, But I do like level two working with something. Like right now, because of COVID, we have everybody working with the grappling dummy. I make everybody hit it, punch it, form it, smash it in the face. Like we're hitting the dummy. So I think that's a good aspect. So again, so so as training changes, as times change, yes, the training methods change. And it, it's always to get better and to get someone better faster, if that makes sense, or at least develop their skills cleaner, more consistently. Like I'm never one to be like, oh, right, you have to do this a hundred times. I'm like, okay, we're going to do this for five minutes. And I want your last one to be exponentially better than your first one. And that's my goal through it. I mean, so. And that's kind of like even my training methods, like I want to, I do feel I'm a better coach now than I was even two years ago or a year ago, because I want to now teach better now than I ever did then. So I'm not only trying to get my jujitsu better, I'm trying to get my coaching methods better consistently. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't train or teach the same way I did like years ago. And as far as like, like, and so when you say Staten Island and Brooklyn, the reality is I was in Staten Island one day a week teaching okay. those people and then i'd be in brooklyn for five days a week so in brooklyn i'd be like all right i have a curriculum or uh, I and i want to say a skill set a physical skill set i'm trying to get everybody to do like right now in my school i'm really concentrating so we concentrated on leg locks for a long time because we had the grappling dummies i'm like and now, now if you go to my school all the grappling dummies knees are taped up because we've done terrible things to those knees um so but so now everybody's got the control with the legs and now we can they know how to hip through a, a thing so now i'm like now on the bottom, i trying to get everybody into this uh, shape so that their mobility in the bottom increases exponentially. Ideally, I keep everybody in the rocking chair position, shoulders up, hips off the ground, and I get everybody spinning underneath, getting away from pressure. Um, so right now, that's my focus for everybody in the school is to get everybody into that round. Once they get on that, we'll, like I'm, I personally am now working on my top game. Uh, honestly, I watched the Gunny Nelson versus um, he rolled with the uh, Half Thor. Did you guys see that? Oh, no. Oh, no, do it. It's on Half Thor's YouTube. It's an insane roll, 355 pounds of pure muscle and Gunnar yeah. Nelson rolls with him. He takes the bottom, but when he's on top, like he's dominating him. So I, I really slowed that. To, we actually did that on my Twitch game. So I really slowed that down to look at Gunny's posturing and how he's holding this huge beast of a human being down. Um, so that was really important to me there. So, so I'm working on that. So when I feel comfortable with that, I'll transition the school into more work in some top game. So then, it'll be harder to hold everybody on the bottom, but then that will work even better to get better at holding on, uh, controlling people from the top. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's always that that circular motion like that.
1: Yeah, I always loved how you taught us too, because you would always uh, teach us the move, then you would teach us the next move that comes after that, but then also the defense to that move. And so yeah, there's always like a whole procedure that are happening, and we can understand what we're doing at multiple levels. Mm-hmm if there was any one thing that you think like people need to start focusing on more in jujitsu, like what, what's like, as like a, as a culture, as a sport, like what would you recommend?
2: Micro positions. Like, cause we, as a culture, jujitsu is positioned for submission and I still agree with that. But at the same time, there are fine, you know, finite positions. Like an Asha, Asha Garami is a micro position. A half guard is a, I'd say a micro position defensively and offensively. Now, even like half guard, I can break down into more like butterfly half guard uh lockdown half guard. I think those need to like if I was gonna change like that's the focus like for how I would say it. Um mm-hmm. don't be like yes be broad until you get to blue belt. But then so like my my fundamentals classes are basically that like so I you know sweep get to the top side so control mount choke them from the back. But then now my advanced classes will be working much more micro position based. Like all right we're gonna start from the inside Ashi your goal is to get away. Your goal is to control them there and then possibly get the submission. Uh, but most likely, you know, hold control the position. And I think every place has that crucifix. Uh, there's stuff to do there. Again, maybe your body type isn't it, but this other person might. So you're going to have to deal with it at least. So that's kind of how I look at it like that. So I think micro positions are part of the next level of understanding to more. Mm. Okay,
1: and then on the reverse side, is there anything that you think the culture needs to let go of a little bit? that like maybe the sport like we're passing
2: it by oh the wrestling like the takedown aspect i mean there's no incentive to take somebody down like i don't mind someone pulling guard and immediately going for like their sweep or their submission that's fine but someone pulls when someone can grab a sleeve and sit that kind of drives me nuts so yeah there should be a penalty for pulling guard and doing nothing but i don't think there should be a penalty for pulling guard and going for something Cause that's you trying to start your game and you can't, I don't want to ever penalize somebody for starting what they do, but I do want, I do think there sh- could be a penalty for just sitting in front of somebody and not actually engaging them on the standup. Why do you think we're not engaging as much? Do you think we're afraid that we're just going to be in a bad
1: position? If we like had to do a sloppy take
2: that bad and also the rules don't really, they don't really like, there's no penalty for it. So why not? Like, again, I, I do want to see the submission. So like someone pulling guard and going for it, there's no reason for them not to funny enough. Like, like, and then there's certain positions that just, they just go to, and it's okay because the rule set doesn't deny them the ability to do it.
0: So I've always thought what's so funny is like, we value the submission, especially from an entertainment aspect, but the point system, the least points are given to submission attempts. And I've always found that to be like, wait, what? That's less important than anything else. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard because you understand there's like position before submission, but it's also like entertainment aspect. I'm like, I wonder if we just made a lot more points for submissions, maybe that would change things. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I remember the Hicks and Gracie tried to do that. Remember, he, did, he had a tournament and where he they would
2: reward submission points. Oh, that's and right.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately,
2: it didn't catch on. And mm. the reason was it was because I would say the issue is the relevance of how close the submission was, was people were saying like, well, it wasn't that close. Right. Uh, but what's like, then we just needed to find like, okay, if he has the on-bar and his... Even though your hands are it together, it's still a, you're in the onbar position. Mm. Uh, that would be that would be more into that micro position thing I was talking about. Mm. Uh, even Eddie Bravo's spider's web concept—that's an mm-hmm. onbar attempt. Like and even like so, I hate the ABI overtime, but whatever. But it is a good example of this idea. Like the spider's web onbar is basically as valuable as the back. There were people who finished like uh, Donald Cerrone versus Dos Anjos. I think is one of the back attempts. Like he didn't finish him from the back, but he took the onbar range and basically popped his arm twice. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's like, all right, micro positions mean more than that. Mm. Uh, but again, yeah, it's it, maybe I would say the points are too high, maybe like uh, maybe two points for the mound, two points for the back, one point for mm. everything else. So in which case, then the recovery is a little bit easier, in which case, maybe when somebody gets up by like four, like like say they get the mound at the back, they're not willing to coast so much.
0: Mm. Yeah, that maybe. Sense? Yeah. yeah. You definitely have like a good wealth of experience in grappling, striking. You've even had yourself some fights. We ask this question to a lot of people, but what tip or strategy might you give someone that maybe has never been in a fight?
2: Either be too far or be way too close.
0: Either stay away from that person if you've
2: never been in a fight because you don't want to get in a fight and you find a way to get away from the situation or you just get so close and hold on so that at least this way you don't get knocked out. Mm. You know what I mean? Because again, you're, if you've never been in a fight and you're in a fight, you either want someone to come rescue you (laughs) and you're going to scream your head off Mm -hmm. or you just want to get away from them and like and when it comes like self-defense seminars i've done i'm like that's your goal it's either to get out or hold on to them so they can't do anything to you um so yeah so either too far or too close is what i would say to somebody who's never been in a fight and then scream if you're trying to get someone to help you
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Anthony, you're the first person that has answered this question. Because every time we ask the question, everyone's like, get the fuck away.
0: Run. Yeah, <laughs> so- they always say run. But I'm like, what if you can't run? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're backed into a corner, like grab
2: onto them, bite them or something. Hold on until you can find a way to get away. But yeah, because mm-hmm. you, if you're too far and you get knocked out, again, we're figuring that if you're in a fight for somebody who's also just fighting you. hmm. You're both running the same risk and then if you were saying like you feel let more vulnerable than let's say let's say they've been in bar fights before and you really haven't been hold on to them like yeah try not to get knocked out because the worst thing is going out if you go out they can do whatever they want to so you gotta just stay conscious at all times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're if you're about to get in a street fight what would be your mentality as a jujitsu instructor as somebody that knows jujitsu like what is your goal is your goal just to be like I don't know how to phrase this. Honestly,
2: just take Matt Sarah versus the drunk guy in Atlantic yeah,
1: City. Exactly. trying to just uh, mount, sit on top. and
2: Like, calm down, buddy. What are you doing? Yeah, no. As a person who's experienced, it's a different story. Again, people are like, oh, did you choose the guy's foot off the back? No, Matt Sarah took him down, took the mount, held his wrist, waited for security to come because he has the experience to do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All too often, people are like, oh, I could just poke his eyes out. I'm like, no, not if this person knows how to do everything. Like, I'm not going to teach somebody to, oh, grab the fingers and break them. Like, what if they just instinctually rip their hand out and now punch you in the face? You know what I mean? So, like, there's that. Yeah. So, as a person yeah, experience, you, yeah, you just control it.
1: You taught me that, too, because I was thinking, like, what do you, what if I did poke your eye? And then you were like, okay, but now imagine you tried to poke my eye. And you couldn't think about how much more i'm gonna hurt you and i was like oh yeah
2: you know. Like, like i have the choke on you go for my eyes i protect my eyes and squeeze until i until i'm like oh this person's trying to kill me like now you just escalated it as well mm-hmm. so remember as you go for those more violent things they go for more violent things so mm-hmm. the escalation is real you know what i mean and that's why like yeah. as far as like self-defense goes if you're talking about the worst case scenarios you know, female, male that like you know, stuff like that. All right, yeah, grab him, break him for the eyes, bite him in the face, anything, hold on, start chewing on him. Um, because teeth are terrible. But you know, I mean you get the idea. Yeah. But if it's not that bad, like realistically, when you think of self-defense or you think of someone getting in a fight, it's like a brother and a cousin. You don't want to rake your cousin's eyes out. You don't want to fish you don't want to rip off his ear or break his fingers back. You know what I mean? You're just kind of fighting. Like, so not every <laughs> self-defense situation is I'm fighting for my life and not all of them should be either. Because mm-hmm. mom or your aunt's can be really mad at you if you uh, break your cousin's, <laughs> uh, if you rip out your cousin's eyeball. But I'm just going
0: to tell him why did he let me do it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to bump.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? So,
1: <laughs> If you were going to have a real fight and you could have anybody coach you, or even if you were just gonna if you were just gonna get a free seminar like you know like if you could train with anyone in the world like i'm curious like who do you look up to who would you like love to pick their brain and learn well more
2: outside from? of outside of henzo right or obviously because honestly the most defining moments while training and learning are henzo's there henzo's saying something and it's just weird like i can still hear his voice in certain moments also outside of henzo um sakuraba would be really cool mm. um, love that dude he's just a cool dude man and his mechanics are different enough to be like oh there's a lot I could really pick out of this t- dude's brain so someone like him Josh Barnett uh, he's another one it's just okay that's just strange like I don't know that world that well so I'd wrestlers. be yeah it'd be more into like somebody who doesn't know who somebody who has more information that I don't know
0: hmm. yeah two catch it, wrestlers yeah you pick two catch <laughs> wrestlers Josh and Sakuraba yeah and professional <laughs> wrestlers you know catch origin Last week, we had our guest on, and he picked, because he's never gotten to train, with. he picked Henzo. He's like, oh, I, w- I would want to be around Henzo just for the sole purpose of listening to him, like his stories, like he just vibes off his energy. So I was going to ask you, maybe as even just an homage to our guest last week, do you have any like interesting Henzo stories or maybe a nugget of wisdom from Henzo that you may have gotten that was valuable to you?
2: Yes, so many, but uh, I mean, Henzo, Henzo really does go off on stories. I remember one time I forgot who he was coaching, but it was an MMA fight. We were like, it might've been like, say something like that. But so the person was coming at him and the guy was still kind of being passive and he was just doing anything to get him to fight. I think he might've been calling him, like fight you pussy. And like, he's just cursing at him, but he's just trying to get him to fight back. And his thing is like, if they're coming at you, you have to go back at them. Don't, don't be passive. You know what I mean? Uh, especially in their, in a, in a fighting context, Um, so I always, I, I actually always remember him cursing at the guy of like, cause when it came down to it, he was, I don't want to say afraid to fight, but he was uncomfortable actually fighting. And he's like, that's not what you trained for. And then like years later, I'm coaching a guy at the Pan Ams and he's a winning, but he wins on like, but he wins by like some stupid points. And he's like, Oh, what'd you think? I'm like, all right, whatever. He's like, I'm like, well, I don't train you to hold somebody down. I train you to submit somebody and fight them. So like that kind of came full circle for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you're gonna fight, fight. That. Don't fight to, to hold on.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: that's
2: that's respectable.
1: You also mentioned that you like rolled with like Hodger and like so Hodger Gracie and like so many of like. Uh, I'll never Hodger, but yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah I learned yes. from him. He beat me up. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. was a guinea <laughs> <bit>, pig. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's what I mean. Do you have uh, any other nuggets you'd like to share with some of those, like, people that you have trained with, like, wisdom from them?
2: I mean, really, like, when I came against guys who are eventually going to be, like, some of the, the best of the best in jiu-jitsu, it's more like paying attention to their movements, the way they would weigh on. Like, I even, I'd be like, you know, Hickson would talk about invisible jiu-jitsu. I'm like, eh, it really doesn't mean much. It. But then, like, I would get to roll with some of these guys, and I, I started to understand what he meant, There's just certain pressures, certain mechanics, certain motions that and even posturing like that you can't teach it like there is the only way to learn it is to actually be training it. And uh, and that's where that like we talk about, like level three training comes in. The only way to learn it is to really be doing it. And that's the thing is those old school guys, all they did was just do it over and over. And it wasn't like a drill. It was like basically when I would roll with these guys, they would be drilling while I'm trying to kill them. And they're just drilling something over and I'm just getting caught in it and roped in it. I'm like, oh God, here we go again. Oh God, here we go again. And eventually just like, all right, I'm just going to do whatever they did to me (laughs) to the other people. So eventually like that started to translate as well. But it was really like, it's again, like their levels were so much higher. They were just able to drill with me while I was going hundred percent to try and break them. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's what I really got out of those guys. As a coach, what is
1: something that you love in a student? And what is something that you don't care for in your students that are like pet peeves? maybe?
2: I mean, it really comes down to coachability. Like, it's like, Oh, you, you know, again, I'm talking about, I'm all about progression. Right. So if I go to you and like, Hey, you, maybe you should go to here and you can go here which get you to there. And then they stay like, Oh, I just do this. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to run the risk of this. Well, if you don't want to risk anything and you're not willing to risk anything, this isn't really going to work out. And kind of that's the idea of jujitsu is like, there is no perfect past. There is nothing that's uh, defined as like the perfect moment. So what I really want as somebody is the ability or the, not that like, again, fear is a sign of intelligence. So when they let fear stop them from progressing or stop them from trying, that's what bothers me. You know what I mean, it's like, all right, mon- like, monitor your fear, accept that it's real. You know, there's danger there, but you can't stay out of danger at all times. It's impossible. You know what I mean? Like, if you're passing someone's guard, you're in danger. And it's more like, what danger are you willing to settle into to get to where you want to be anyway? Uh, so when I have somebody who really lets fear stop them from trying, that's my issue. Mm. And at the same time, like, I, I really appreciate people who are like, I'll go for it. I, when lose, a drug, just try it. You know what I mean? So, Would
0: that'd you be say way. it's almost like a, every move is like a cost-benefit analysis, but they're only looking at the cost?
2: hundred percent. hundred percent.
0: Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah.
2: Like I even rolled a guy up at Henzo's and like, he was a mathematician. He's like, well, I actually broke down the percentages of all the things that I do and I only do the ones above like 80. I'm like, all right, Mike, that's kind of fascinating. <laughs> we need to have another conversation about this. And one day I want to see your list. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, yeah. Everything you do is called benefit analysis. Yeah. And I was like, that's just, he just say, it's like, I don't do the moves. It's not high enough percentage. I'm like, what? He goes, Oh, I have them all written down. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I wrote down everything I've done and I did the percentages of how it worked for me and how it didn't. And now I only do the higher percentages. Oh, that's funny. I was like, but what about trying new stuff? He goes, eh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was already brown belt on the way to black belt and he got his black belt eventually, but yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Well. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, following up on noobs question, do you have any pet peeves? Like something that students do that maybe, maybe not something that uh, has happened to you before or anything, but something like maybe even just advice that students should not do. Uh, yeah, okay. Like that statement, like, yeah, okay. Uh, like, and then they'll do it like, yeah, okay. Like, all right, then
2: why like, why are you paying me to be your instructor? Just go roll. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, like, like a dismissive mm-hmm. attitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're very dismissive over like, it's like, oh, no. Oh, I do, I do. Or the other one is like, oh, I don't do it like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> could try it maybe? Like, um, I'm not yeah, saying this because I yeah, think it's a yeah. bad <laughs> idea and I'm trying to rope you into choking yourself out.
0: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. feel like. Uh... at the same time yeah. i'm not really willing to fight them. i'm like sure <laughs> keep doing yeah. it that way right they're gonna keep passing your guard <laughs> yeah I,
1: like i really think i became a much better school teacher once i started learning martial arts a little bit because instinctually i was just like i respect these people because like i'm also up there you know and then like i could never understand how somebody's not respecting you know, like just trying their best, like especially when they're paying for it and it's like a skill and you're choosing mm-hmm. to go there and
2: yeah. there's so many cursory benefits. That's got to be like a little bit frustrating sometimes. It is, but it also comes down to the same reason I want to break somebody's arm. It's I give you the uh, chance and the choice, <laughs> but if you don't choose it, I'm like, oh, dude, okay. I just, uh, just still paying the bills, right? All right, cool. <laughs> you know I mean?
1: it, it, in a low key way, are you ever harder on them when you roll with them?
2: No, 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 no. Uh, when i roll i'm actually rolling more for me uh, every once in a while i'll be like i want you to work on something and i'll kind of put them in a position to see them defending but when i'm rolling there's a good like that's my time for training too mm. you know what i mean unless it's in a class and i'm just i'm filling in for somebody's closed garden and i'll make them work in a very maybe in a particular fashion but for the most part when i'm rolling it's my time it's time for me to get better and at the same time i'm trying to get them better too but it, i am focused on my mentality at that point like uh, mm-hmm. i was rolling with somebody recently and they got so frustrated they like i didn't know but they told him was like it's like he just so frustrated me because his mobility is so insane i was like all right i'm just going to stop him from moving and i used this stuff from half thor in that that video i was using mm. the mechanics a gun he was using and he felt like he was glued to the floor but without me squashing him so he got frustrated uh again that was more for me than it was for him it was to see if i can do it to somebody with that level of movement so mm. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, another question about your teaching philosophy. And since you do have two kids and do you coach people differently as like if they're kids and adults, like do you, I obviously you do, but, uh, are you like a little bit like more firmer? Like, what is your mentality when you coach kids and when you're trying to like bring the young kids on board?
2: Uh, with kids, I'm a little bit much more disciplined. Like, whereas with adults, I'm like, all right, you could choose not to do it. It's okay. Uh, with kids, it's different. With kids, it's no, you have to do this. Like, this is why you're here. This is why your parents pay me to bring you here so that you can do this, so that you can learn this. And like uh, again, like I'm if they get their left and right hand wrong, I make them to push-ups so that they remember to get their left and right hand right because I got, I'm not only conditioning for jujitsu, I'm conditioning them to listen. Um, and there was a big listening aspect. And I think that's kind of why the parents bring them to me too. It's like, all right, I know kids don't listen to their parents always. So like, I have to be that person anyway. And again, I say to the kids all the time where they don't understand how dangerous what we're doing it. That's a mm. difference too. Kids don't have the idea of consequence. An adult knows like, oh, he can break my arm or we're learning to choke somebody. Like, kids don't really have that mentality on how dangerous what we're doing is. So it's up to me to make sure they do understand like, no, we're doing something very dangerous. You need to listen to me. Cause if you don't, you can hurt somebody else or hurt yourself. So I think there's a very big difference there.
1: And on that same theme with kids. Like I feel like a lot of the champions or the people that I see now, they started training maybe in their teens. And then when we were younger, a lot of the people started training, like when they're like 20, like, you know, like right when they, but now we're seeing like a whole bunch of five and six-year-olds training. And so if you could like put on your like psychic hat, do you have like a vision of like where Jiu-Jitsu might be in like 15, 20 years? Like once these kids get older, like, is there anything like new that you foresee happening that we might not see right now?
2: Uh, well, I mean, realistically, we'll see more Hydra Gracie's, more, um, more Gordon Ryan's, more Gary Tonin's. Like ideally, I mean, Gag, Roger Gracie started training from when he was basically a baby. And we'll see, I think we'll see the level of jujitsu just increase because now we have more people learning from a younger age. You know what I mean? So more people will just be moving in a way that's more functional to when they actually get to that point. You know what I mean? They won't have to be taught to move that way. Like they'll already have the right posture. So instead of teaching them how to move themselves, I can now teach them how to, they'll be being taught how to control somebody. And then the skills that they develop will be much easier to put on. So the more younger people we have, the more access we'll have to like higher level training for them.
1: Okay. Do you see like maybe young people love like leg locks and there's going to be like an evolution of that or like the building blocks of jujitsu are there. They're just going to all get greeted at them.
2: Oh, this everybody loves everything. Like you'll have people that love leg locks. You'll have people that love mom You'll have people that love choking people. That'll always be. And ideally we should never stop that. Like we should always have those people. Like, because the person who loves it, uh, okay, uh, Clark Gracie. He loved omopladas. Who the hell loves Plata's? But he (laughs) redefined the game. Like if you want to learn how to omoplada, literally just watch that dude omoplada everybody. Like literally he would omoplada people go, I got this. Like what? Like nobody was doing it, but he loved it so much. He stuck with it. He redefined its mechanics. I remember he's showing it and like, he's ripping out the shoulder as he's trying to get into position. I'm like, dude, people don't move this way. He's like, yeah, they do in competition. Like, But he's just, and not only does he get the omoplata, he gets there in crazy ways. He can, he doesn't need, when he throws the leg over the shoulder, his other foot's fishing for their foot, not even their arm. Like he's not locking up their legs. Like, so we have to allow people to love a moment, love a position or submission. And then they're they're the ones that agree to redefine it,
0: you know? So speaking of submissions, do you subscribe to any like hierarchy of submissions? Cause you know, like there's some old adages, like the choke is King or, you know, leg lock is the bandit. Is there anything that you would seem, that you would deem like, uh, I don't know, do you have any personal hierarchy of submissions? Um, I, choke is king, it still is. Uh, look at, I mean, case in
2: point would be uh, Tony Ferguson. He didn't tap to the leg lock, he didn't tap to the arm bar, but if he choked him to sleep, he would still be sleeping.
1: Has your philosophy and what you're teaching people changed now that you have children? like in terms of self-defense and things like that? Has, has that had any impact on like the way you look at martial arts and self-defense?
2: Um, it actually just made me look at more calling people out like for teaching terrible things. Again, like I think I teach something that's effective and I think it's going to work for somebody if they get in a terrible situation. But now when I see something that's bad and I think it hurt the person, like is detrimental to teach, I'm much more willing to call people out for it. Mm. And I get a lot of crap for it. People are like, they're like, you don't respect the martial arts. I'm like, no, I respect it enough to say something if you have too much respect we eventually get to george dillman status and people just going huh, that's not reality mm. but yeah you get people so so yeah it's made me much more um uh vitriolic when it comes to calling people's terrible martial arts out the first argument i got on on tiktok was somebody talking about how he's like oh i trained frank's duke's reunion ninjutsu." i'm like wait is that your like are you putting that out as your accolade <laughs> is <laughs> like, as effective as you believe it is Are you trying and to be funny yeah like <laughs> like but he's like no i do this i'm like all right like i don't think what you do is useful and like you know that was my first tiktok argument oh, obviously i thought it was hysterical but uh he took it real personal wow yeah. maybe
1: that's what we need to do to get this podcast bigger Arturo. we should just go to those seminars
0: <laughs> And just say, like if they let us i would love soulmate. to i
1: I would pay forty bucks though to laugh. I there's no way I can. You gotta
0: keep a straight face though, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would
1: not. I don't know. Maybe the there. are hide cameras. I'm like, no, they can't be
0: filming us. Uh, do you think jujitsu okay. is the most popular martial art now?
2: Um, who's the most popular? I mean, I, I don't really know. Honestly, I have no idea. All right.
0: Do do um, you? I feel like jujitsu is definitely like growing at such a big rate, and it keep, continues to grow. Do you feel like? there'll be an emergence of like another martial art, maybe like, do you think anything will be as big as jujitsu on um, like a training level? Cause I feel like nowadays, like the guy around the corner has trained jujitsu at some point or something. Yeah, so like that's you're true. not going to find that with like Muay Thai or anything, you know? I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, again, I think jujitsu
2: kind of caters towards the common person a little more effectively than like Muay Thai. I mean, that requires a lot of hard work to, to get to those levels. Jujitsu is hard work too, but it's kind of disguised and fun, I guess. I mean we'll see we'll always see different skills from different martial arts put into like fighting arenas and mmas mm-hmm. uh but like jujitsu is really the only i mean besides maybe sambo might hit but even right. then like I, i've seen people try try but it didn't make it
0: uh maybe catch wrestling so something like that um yeah so uh that was actually what i first started with was catch wrestling and uh there you know, it's a lot of neck cranks and stuff. And do you think that if jujitsu allowed that or even promoted that and taught that, that that might hamper the amount of people it would attract? I
2: mean, well, neck cranks are like, I mean, at some point, neck cranks are legal. Like when I was competing, neck cranks were completely legal. Mm, Okay. I was, you were like, people were trying to do it to me all the time. I had to learn to armbar somebody out of it. Mm. Um, I get in a guard, they would just like, can't open me. I'm like, oh, I got to dip my head and break their arm for it. Like, even up at Henzo's, people would try and neck crank me all the time. Um, so, like, I maybe now the rules say you can't do it, but I knew you could back then.
0: Yeah, um, I, I remember there's actually one time, because, again, I came from catch wrestling. So, like, one of the earlier tournaments I did, I think I did uh, just a can opener to pass. I wasn't even, like, really cranking on it, per se. And uh, the guy tapped out, and I got DQ'd because that oh, was, like... Man. Yeah. So then someone was like, no, you have to disguise your neck cranks as chokes. And I was like, that's yeah. ridiculous. No, it was definitely know? like a
2: fold. Because I mean, like, I'm thinking about it now. There was a tournament where I would actually do, uh, from guard, I would do this where I'd sit over for like a guillotine, but then it underhook the armpit and it would basically mm. be like a neck crank sweep.
0: Yeah. We call um, those, uh, I think, cow catchers or something. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I loved doing that. But I remember like there was one tournament and in the middle of doing it, the ref goes, I know what you're going to do. It's illegal. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> really Like, it's illegal now they're like yeah you can't do them i'm like oh okay because like the rules did become lighter as mm-hmm. i was going through so like i didn't feel like oh can't do that anymore what else can i do
0: yeah so yeah. I, i've kind of thought about that about catch wrestling myself because i'm like i think like the subs are just a lot more like i just like no time it's like all oh, leg locks neck cranks and all this stuff and i'm like maybe that's also what you know why it's not as popular i i, I don't know do, do you have like a that's what hmm. I was kind of getting at with like the hierarchy of submissions. Do you feel like there's anything that plays into the business of it or the entertainment of it? Anything that hurts it? Hmm. I mean, so I think the idea
2: of someone knowing who's winning, what is important. And I think that helps people. Like remember I said, like the audience needs to know who's winning, mm-hmm. but the fighters don't necessarily need to know who's winning. Mm. I think people like to see that. And um so there's a, the hierarchy concept of jujitsu does play into that idea. Mm. So I, I think that that's part of it. So, and then, and then there has to be a comeback mechanic. And that's the thing about catch wrestling. If you kind of got on the bottom and you didn't get it back on top, most of those guys are just crumbling. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. so like, then you'll have like, and now I know I've seen some catch wrestles show things from the guard, but that's only after uh, the guard has been explored by jujitsu. So ideally the comeback yeah. mechanic is important the ability to fight up your back, the ability to have that submission um, that, that um, the idea of like, Oh, they can catch you.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I think is important as well. Back in the day, like Maeda, before he went down to Brazil and taught the Gracie's, they were up in America first. And it was a catch wrestle that submitted his, like, I think he, they pinned his coach. Like, and if you read the story, Maeda didn't want uh, his coach to fight because he was older and the guy was much bigger and stronger, but they wanted to fight the master. Uh, It was like, no, fight me. And they're like, whatever. But after that, they just went down to Brazil. Mm. Yeah,
1: that's some good uh, history. One of the last questions I had, if somebody for somebody that is experienced, uh, if they want to watch people like jujitsu, people that they love that you love, that you think they can learn from, like, who would you recommend people should look up?
2: Um, I still think that one of the most entertaining grapplers to watch is Gary Tonin. I just, in MMA, in jujitsu and anything, he's just fun to watch. Good answer. Um, the way he escapes, the way he goes for anything. And I actually really appreciated his last uh, grappling match versus Dante Leone. He criticized himself for going for leg locks too much. Like he's like, no, I need to, I needed to pass more. So he needs to add on. So yeah. him, any of the dinner Death squad the guys are great. Damien um, Damian Maier. I mean, actually, and even old school Ben Askren when he was in 1FC, which is fun to watch too. So, right on.
1: Yeah. Um, for somebody that hasn't trained yet, but they're like a little bit nervous about jujitsu, and they're always like, I kind of want to do it, but they haven't like dipped their toe in the water.
2: Like, is there any advice you would give them? Everybody goes, what should I do before I train jiu-jitsu? Nothing. Mm. Just go to class. Take your first, like open up the book find a place call them up take your first free class or if they are maybe they are for like a week whatever it is but just get in there um let it happen like the biggest this the, the biggest mistake i see is a lot of my friends that always said they wanted jujitsu and didn't is simply because they were just afraid to walk in that's your choice to be afraid to walk in but if you really want to do something you got to go do it you can't and that's for anything uh too many people are like oh i, w- I always want to do that I'm like just do it like right. what happens if you fail okay you failed anyway because you didn't do it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How would you like people to remember you? I'm a bit, I like, I like people me as a coach. I do like that. I like, I like coaching people a lot. I like that. So um, again, my goal, as far as like, I'm concerned is I'm really trying to change or add on to the levels that we train jujitsu at, like in getting somebody better more efficiently. Um, and at the same time, like not just focusing on just jujitsu also, continuing the idea that jiu-jitsu is for fighting uh, mm. and for self-defense i think that slid back a little bit with people like talking about sport jiu-jitsu and stuff like that like
0: Agreed, yeah. there
2: is, jujitsu is still for fighting and that is a reality and if i can get if i can get my guys to really hold on to that like that'd be that'd be awesome
1: well anthony that that definitely worked on me you know so i appreciated like all Sweet. the lessons you imparted and everything you did and also I was lucky because when I was looking for, I was doing some Sambo and then I was like, I haven't trained in a year and a half and I hate myself. And then I literally just put in my phone, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, And it was the one that was closest to my apartment and it was <laughs> your gym. And then luckily one of the kids I did Sambo with Thomas Doyle, Tommy Doyle. And he saw because of Facebook algorithms and their creepiness. This is the one time Facebook's creepiness worked out. He goes, Oh, I saw you went into zero G BJJ. He goes, Go there. Anthony's the man, Gary's the man, Olex yeah, is creepy. the man. He's like, You, he's, and I was like, All right, I trust Tommy. And then so I just kept going. And then because of that, I got to train, I brought my friend Adrian along. And then so Adrian is at your gym now. And then me and Adrian, even though we were best friends already, we became better
2: friends because of jujitsu. Oh, yeah. And nobody so, brings people together better than getting, than beating each other up, honestly. The, yeah. You know, there's just exactly. a mutual respect that comes with it. And bonding, so then you get to make each other better. I mean, that's kind of the, the idea behind like any team. The, the idea is in jujitsu, we train as a team. We train together. We fight individually. And sometimes you have to fight the, your, your teammates. But we still train as a team to get better as a team. And that's like that level three training. I was talking about like, we have to help each other get better. Because the better I make them, the better I get to be. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And you're always learning about the person because I thought I knew Adrian super well. Right. <laughs> and then Adrian, after the first couple of classes, because Adrian's bigger than me, I decided to be a dick and just like always geek and <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> choke him out. But Adrian was like, look, I always loved you, but actually, I have a little bit more respect
2: for you now. Like, I think he thought like, <laughs> me,
1: he thought I was like doing karate or something. And then he's like, actually, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and, and Adrian, like I think a lot of other people out there, was always like had like a tiny bit of like anxiety or depression you know and then mm-hmm. he's like I'm missing something I'm missing something and then after like three months of jujitsu, jitsu he's like yo I found it. like and so me and Arturo's goal in one of this is not necessarily to like attract all fighters to our podcast but attract people that are like right on that bridge that want to join and so
2: I think jujitsu and mental health are completely hand in hand I think very few people in this world do not benefit for some from having some adrenaline rush to their system um and i think jiu-jitsu is a very controlled way of doing that the idea of tapping and then continuing and then tapping and then continuing um as much as that might hit your ego and that's i mean i think that's the real reason most people don't stick with jujitsu jitsu it's an ego issue um, but if you can let that go your mental health can increase exponentially just from, the, just from the physical activity of getting adrenaline through your system, I think we're all designed to have adrenaline course through our system at some points. We don't hunt anymore. Uh, there's so many, we don't fight for survival anymore. Uh, so we have to find things that do still hit those points in our brain to increase those endorphins that, again, are, when we talk about mental health, that's really what it is. It's those endorphins aren't there anymore, unfortunately, or there's no reason to produce them so Mm -hmm. i think jujitsu is a really really not just physical but mental aid as well because of that totally with you
1: i guess to finish off how can people find you like your gym and your social media and just uh, so they can learn more about you and join your gym
2: obviously jujitsu school is called zero gbjj zero gravity not zero gracie which i get oddly often enough lately um (laughs) Like, no, we, I'm from Crazy. Uh So Zero G BJJ on Instagram, Professor Buck on Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube page, Professor Buck as well. Uh, and then um, Professor Buck BJJ on TikTok is when I try and call out terrible martial artists, if you want to subscribe for that one, too. And, where, and then also where... we do the we do the Twitch stream on like, was it? Uh, it's at nine. I start at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I think I, I do it every day except for except for Saturdays and Fridays. And I put Saturdays in quotes because if there's a UFC, I'm usually on watching it with everybody anyway. But that starts at nine. And if you ever just want to either become a fan of jujitsu or become a fan of MMA, that's kind of where to start.
1: Okay, we'll definitely share those links. And where is the actual physical location of the school right now? I think you guys moved.
2: We did move. uh, So we are at 65 Woodhull, which is uh, on the corner of Woodhull and Hicks. It's right off the highway. Uh, We have a nice sign painted on there, which has been attracting people, which has been nice. Uh, so Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens, 65 Woodhall.
1: Yes, everybody in Brooklyn, please visit. If you're already at a gym, it doesn't hurt to just go visit a new gym and learn from Anthony and meet some new people, expand the network. And if you have been thinking about dipping your toe in and you weren't sure, you know, bring friends, you know, go with somebody. And like I said, me and my best friend became even better friends. And so you're going to have that best friend. You're going to have a group chat that you'll be a part of right away and you'll
0: meet some good people so it's funny uh, because i know adrian and then we also have like another friend we're also trying to like really get in there too andy right if he's listening andy Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah uh, i had one more question that i definitely wanted to ask you is what are your thoughts on anoop as a student um i mean he's very coachable actually like so there was a point
2: where it looked like he was gonna like uh like tension would be his enemy because he was so afraid he was the one where like, he looked like he was so afraid to lose. Mm. Um, but eventually he kind of like accepted that it's okay to lose occasionally to get better. Eventually
0: mm-hmm.
2: as a student, I think he's much better. I remember when he went to, uh, when he went to Staten Island, I don't think I'd promoted him yet. And Joe calls me. He's like, and what's up with this guy? I'm like, oh, I was going to, but then he left and then I figured you would. He's like, yeah, I got to promote him. I'm like, okay, it's fine. I'm <laughs> Promoting his friend too.
1: Yeah, I remember I felt like a little weird. Like I wasn't sure who should promote me or how or like the politics behind it. But I mean, yeah, you taught me like everything. And that that coachability also, I have to give a shout out to uh, Carol Caroline because mm-hmm. I was like getting caught in those Kimoras and like, and I have decent flexibility. So I was like, I'm not going to tap. I had that tension. And then she's like, you're standing there for a minute. You could be doing other stuff for a minute if you tap and then just retrain. And that changed my perspective. And I was like, fuck, you're right. And and since then I'm like, you catch it, I'm tapping. And then I'm going to move on to those other things that 100%, yeah. learn from there. So
2: love it. sometimes whatever. we test our grit, but not always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's in that two week period before the competition. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate that, that uh, you were going to promote me. That, that means a lot. And uh, yeah. Thank you for everything that you've taught me and, I really hope to uh, visit the gym and see you guys ASAP.
2: Oh man. Yeah. Can't wait for you to come And Especially with everything
0: uh, in New York slowly opening up pretty well and everything's been working out real well. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, joining us today. You're awesome.
2: My pleasure, man. Thanks for inviting me. It was totally awesome. Cool. All All right. Have Have a great
0: day, guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy fighting.